the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Monday. It's a new week on the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know by now, we're here every weekday at 4 o'clock to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions, whatever's on your heart, what we believe as Christians, why we believe it, um, maybe things that you're dealing with in your life. The Word has the answers. I keep saying that. Well, we'll do the best that we can to answer. All you have to do is call. Area code 210 Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. One button call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Hope you had a great day at church yesterday. Um, we did lots and lots of people and people got saved. It's always a neat thing. One of the great things about waking up every Sunday morning is knowing that people are going to get saved that day. Uh, and that happened again yesterday. I hope it happened at your church as well. Everybody that gives their life to Jesus. Think about this. Everyone that gives their life to Jesus, we're one person closer to Jesus coming back for us. One person closer. Maybe today there's an unbeliever listening to this radio program. At some point, somebody's going to ask a question, and the answer is going to make sense, and that person's going to give their heart to Jesus. Then we might all be out of here. That's all we have to hope for. We're going to be with Jesus. For us today, I'd ask for all of your prayers. Uh, today was the first day of our new school year. So all of the kids were back. The noise was back. The joy, the laughing, all of it was back. That means before this program, I had my whole office full of people here uh, praying for the the program this morning, our, our kids, a whole new group. And um, uh, so I'm sure this is going to be a good program. Let's go right to some questions that have been sent in. Remember, we prefer your live phone calls. It's just a better program. Here is a question from our mobile app from Kirby. Uh, When he started his ministry, did Jesus know his ministry was only going to last three-plus years? Um, Kirby, we don't know the answer to that that question. I, I don't believe he did, at least at first. And the only basis for me saying that is on the Mount of Transfiguration. You'll remember that he went up and Peter, James, and John were with him, but he he was kind of called aside and talked with Moses and Elijah. And we're told in the Gospels that they told him about all the things that were going to happen. So they would tell him about the timetable. They would tell him about all of the suffering. Um, uh, they, They would tell him about Judas's betrayal, all of the things. That would be really, really hard. I think in his humanity, and that's remember, we always have to remember that he dealt with everything as a human being. 
That's that he could be an example for you and for me. We know he understands what it is we're going through. And because of that, I think personally, and this is just an opinion because the Bible is silent on it, I think personally that Jesus was told things on a need-to-know basis. When it was time to know, he knew. Now, one caveat that I need to make sure that we understand is that there's a prophetic angle of this moment and he knew the exact day that he would have to come into Jerusalem to be proclaimed the Messiah, the Christ of Israel publicly for the very first time. It was from the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, 173,880 days from the declaration to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. We can find that date in Nehemiah chapter 2. And when we go to those two places, we know that there was a day, this divine appointment that Jesus would come in and be proclaimed directly as the Christ. So he would have known that date, however. Remember, he veiled his deity, so it might have been one of the things that Moses and Elijah told him on the Mount of Transfiguration in that source of, of uh, or that conversation as well. So Kirby, that's all we know. We just know maybe, just maybe, that was the case. Here is a question from AAAA. Good to hear from you again from our email inbox. Pastor on 1 Peter 3.18 describes what Jesus did after his death on the cross. Um, these imprisoned spirits, do you know uh, how they are different than other demons. I assume that they're demons, as the Bible never uses spirit when speaking of humans. I can't imagine that they are angels, as angels cannot sin. Is that correct? Why aren't these demons loose on earth with all of the others to continue their assault on the human race? Uh, AA, those are great questions. This is one of the difficult passages of Scripture that have been sort of argued about for a very, very long time. Um, The spirits from verse 19, and I'll give you my opinion as I'm always inclined to do, but the spirits could possibly refer to the spirits of humans or of demons or of both. Now, I believe personally that they refer to the spirits of both. Um, In the early church, the first and second century, there was almost universal acceptance that the identity of these spirits could be found in the fallen angels of Genesis chapter 6, those who were described as having not kept their first estate. We would call them fallen angels. But some of those angels, and we can read June 6, and I think that we'll get a little bit more understanding. There were some of these really, really powerful angels uh, that went in, the sons of God, always a reference to angelic spirits uh, who went into the daughters of men and produced these men of renown, these offspring by them. Again, the first century church, first and second century church, universally believed that these were the fallen angels. Some of them apparently so bad that Jude 6 says that they've been sort of chained up, reserved for the day of judgment. We can go to the book of Revelation and find out that those demon spirits are going to be set loose uh, as part of the uh, judgments of God uh, during the Great Tribulation, but evidently so powerful and so incorrigible that they, they had to be chained by God. Um, over the years, and this is where it's more fallen into favor to believe that these are are human spirits. Uh, it's happened because there's so many different opinions about what Genesis 6 even means. The early church believed Peter was referring to them, um, but, but others say, well, no, it's impossible for fallen angels to have sex with humans, and so it couldn't have been that. So uh, we don't know. Here's what we know. We know that the message that was preached wasn't a second chance. We know that Jesus didn't preach the gospel when he went uh, into the pit, into the abyss. Um, what he would have done is declare victory. You know, I want you to think for a moment. We know that he's going down also to take the captives who are in Abram's bosom or paradise. He's going to take them with him in his train to heaven. They've been in paradise. It's a wonderful place, but it's not with Jesus in what we call heaven. Um, Can you imagine what it would have been like to be there? 
there's the compartment of the unrighteous dead, those who are going to be sentenced to an eternity in hell. And then there's a compartment called paradise. Can you imagine when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth and ground would begin to shake and light, an approachable light would begin to shine because that's what the resurrected Christ would have done. Can you imagine the excitement there would have been on that day? And I personally think, at least this is the way I imagine it in my mind's eye, Jesus would have looked at his believers, those who were in paradise. He would have said to them, come, I'm setting you free. And as he opens the gate and they begin to follow him, he would have preached a message of victory. You had a chance. And I believe this is both to the fallen angels and to those who objected in the days of Noah, those who didn't believe. I think at that point, it would have been sort of, you had your chance, I loved you, but your judgment is just and pure, and it would have been a victory declaration. So that's what I think. I think it's both, that's my own opinion, Um, but remember that uh, the early church in particular almost universally accepted that these were only the spirits of the fallen angels. Uh, And that also makes a lot of sense. So, thank you for writing again. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-5757. Melanie wants to know, did Jeff Ta kill his daughter? And if so, why did God allow it? Melanie, we don't... Melanie, I'm sorry. We don't know for sure. Um, uh, I I personally believe that he didn't. If you look at the passage of Scripture, it was a foolish vow that he made after coming back uh, uh, from or going to a war, going to to to, to fight the enemy against the enemies of Israel. And he made a foolish vow. If you give me victory, I will sacrifice you. The first thing I see coming out my door, obviously expecting an animal to come out. But what did he see when he came back? It was his daughter who was returning. Now, we automatically assume sacrifice with death, and that's the way this passage has been understood. We know that God would see a sacrifice of a human being as an abomination. Uh, It is my opinion, Melanie, that if Jephthah was going to try, he would have done with with, uh, Jephthah as he did with Abraham when he was uh, told uh, to to kill his only son, Isaac. Uh, He would have intervened. Um, don't raise a hand against the lad, he said to Abraham. I think he would have said the same thing. Jeff Tom, what are you thinking? Don't do this horrible thing. But I don't think we had to, to worry about that because the passage goes on to make, I think, make it clear that her sacrifice was that she would never be married. She was going to go um, um, mourn over her virginity, the fact that she wouldn't bear children, which was the, the goal of Jewish women always. And um, I think for the, the, the time that she was out mourning with her friends, mourning with her, um, I think the decision had been made that, that to keep her father's vow, uh, she was going to belong to the Lord in body and soul and spirit for all of her days. So I don't think that he killed her. I don't think God would have allowed it. Um, but, but the sacrifice certainly was that she wasn't able to enjoy uh, a marriage. She wasn't able to enjoy becoming a mother. Um, so I don't think we have to worry about Jeff having killed his daughter. The one thing I do want to say, Melanie, is that in the book of Judges, it is a time that's characterized by men doing what seemed right to them. It wasn't a time when God um, was smiling on Israel because the people of Israel were seeking God. It was just the opposite. God couldn't smile on them. In fact, the whole book of Judges, uh, a period of nearly 400 years, the whole book of Judges is about people doing what seemed right to them, turning from God, God judging them with foreign enemies, and then rescuing them in his compassion and mercy uh, before they were completely destroyed. That's why over and over throughout the book of Judges, he raised up these judges. I call them rescuers or deliverers um, because otherwise Israel would have been destroyed. So God, in order to keep his plan, he simply sent rescuers. Didn't mean they were good guys. Some of them were, but others of them weren't. 
It just means that they were rescued. 340-9585. Here's an interesting question from Nelson. He says, what is or what do you think is the biggest problem in the church today? Um, Nelson, I think the biggest problem in the church, generally speaking, is biblical, biblical illiteracy. We're simply ignorant of what the Bible says, and the Bible's not being taught. The Bible's being preached. There's stories told about the Bible. There's Bible verses being used, but the Bible's not being taught. What we need in the church is a not a revival, but a revival. And I think if we had a revival, if every pastor would simply say, next Sunday and every Sunday after that, I'm going to preach the Bible verse by verse, I think we would experience a revival. But first, we need a revival. We need to return to the Word of God. We need to let the Word of God convict. In in First Thessalonians, Paul talks about the Word of God coming to them with great power and conviction, deep conviction. That's what happens when we teach the Bible. You should have heard what it was like here at our three services yesterday. There were points in time during, uh, I mean, a room full of people, all three services, and, and there were points in time where it was so quiet you could hear a pin drop. That wasn't because I'm a great speaker. It had nothing to do with me. It's because the Spirit of God was falling in conviction on people. And we had a huge response to the invitations in all three services. It's because the Word of God was going out and conviction by the Holy Spirit of God was falling on the people who were here. And you have to go to church to laugh, and sometimes people laugh. I say some things that are funny, I guess, sometimes, but it's always an accident. I'm not a funny person. Um, but, but when the Word's being taught, our hearts, in the best way possible, are being sliced and diced. And Nelson, because that doesn't happen in most churches, we're more interested in entertaining and giving people goosebumps and hoping that they feel good about themselves so they'll come back the next week. I think it's just a tragedy that we sort of turned our back on the Word of God. So that's what I think is the biggest problem in the church. I don't think there is a secondary problem that comes even close. It'd be interesting to know what you think is the biggest problem in the church. Here is our next question from Anonymous. If a believer dies without repenting of sin, will they go to heaven or hell? Well, Anonymous, the key word in your question is believer. All true believers are going to heaven. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. In other words, he's the personal guarantor of our inheritance in heaven. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, among other places. So a believer, even if he or she is currently in sin and hasn't confessed and repented of that sin, they're going to go to heaven. What it means is that they're going to find out that they missed out on a lot of really neat stuff. They're going to lose rewards in heaven. I think sometimes we have a tendency in our church culture, anonymous, to to believe that, well, as long as I make it to heaven, that's okay. I personally believe that on that day when we stand at the Bema seat of Christ and those cabinets or whatever they have in heaven to hold them are open and we see all of the crowns that Jesus had for us. And then we see that he has to take the crowns intended for us and give them to somebody else because they were faithful and we refused to be. I think that's going to be a, 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 a moment in time of, uh, of tragedy. I think our hearts will be broken. I think we'll be so sorry. Now, of course, Jesus could say, it's okay. But I think we're always going to have the remembrance that there's something we missed out on that would have brought Jesus glory. And certainly, if we are living in in conscious sin, or we're not in a place where we can hear the Holy Spirit, we're not in a place where God can use us. And even if he does use us because he cares so much about somebody that, that, that he wants to be saved, there won't be any reward. Anonymous, think about what it'd be like to give money and have no reward for it in heaven or to serve in church, to give time. 
or to give you talent, whatever it is that God has given you the ability to do better than most. And then you find that you did all those things, and there's not a single reward. And in many cases, it's going to be because God showed you that you did those things, but the whole time you were out of fellowship with Him because of sin. Same thing would be true if your motive was wrong, but your question was about sin without repenting of sin. You'll go to heaven. But believe me, it's going to be a really difficult time, a moment in time. I also believe, based on the parable of the talents, that our capacity to be used by God in the millennium and then later as we serve Him for eternity in heaven, I think our capacity to enjoy Him is going to be decreased because of our unfaithfulness as opposed to increased with those who are faithful. So I hope that answers your question. I think that's what you were intending. Here is a question from Avery. Avery says, Why is it that some pastors teach that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased? Um, Avery, my my opinion is, uh, and I I can't speak for other pastors, my opinion is that the, the, the Holy Spirit and His gifts are so abused in churches that some pastors overreact. They simply overreact because they want to avoid the abuses. And, and it's true, the abuses are horrible, horrible things. You walk into church and everybody's speaking in tongues or people are saying, thus saith the Lord and so-called prophesying. You see people falling down and, and, and they're shaking or they're, they're, they're slain in the Spirit. Those aren't gifts of the Spirit. We see those kind of abuses in every pastor that loves the Bible just cringes when we see those kind of things. We see the kind of things. I had a question last week about Bethel Church in Reading. We see uh, a claims of teeth being filled with gold and of angel feathers falling or gold dust falling. Uh, we see these unbelievably ridiculous things and it's easier sometimes just to say, you know what, instead of opening my church up to those kind of excesses, let's just, I, I just don't believe the gifts of the Spirit for today. I personally think that is a uh, a fault that some of us have. Um, the pastors I know who are cessationists, and that's what that's called, um, that's their reason for not exploring the gifts of the Spirit. And I think they're missing out, and I think their churches are getting ripped off. I think, Avery, we need to know that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, not the sign gifts, not like Jesus did in his ministry, not like the apostles did in the the first century to validate their ministry. Those are very special um, um, authenticating signs and wonders. We don't need authenticating or validating signs and wonders. We have uh, more knowledge about the, the reality of Jesus Christ now than at any time in the history of the world. But real gifts of the Spirit are given and used. I have the gift of teaching and I get to use that gift all the time. And by the way, one of the sort of funny things about this question, Avery, is that pastors who teach that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased are exercising gift of teaching when they teach. I think there's a gift of helps, the gift of encouragement. I think there's the gift that's given of speaking in tongues. That's not Acts chapter 2 tongues. That's a, a, a vertical gift between you and God that allows you a greater intimacy with God. I think the gifts of the word of knowledge, the words of, of prophecy, not that make one a prophet. There are no prophets today. But the words of prophecy that are given are, are to strengthen and edify and build the church of Jesus Christ up. Those are very important gifts. And because of that, um, we, 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 we want to continue to exercise them. So the sign gifts, the gifts of healing, gifts of healing are different now. It's not like Peter saying silver and gold are none, but what I give, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and walk. That kind of thing doesn't happen. Certainly in the West, it doesn't happen. But there are still gifts of healings that are given to people who are sick and in need of healing. So um, I think the reason, Avery, that they 
teach that the gifts have ceased is just because of the abuses and uh, and how repugnant uh, some of those gifts are. I can tell you that for me as a pastor, when I would go into a church where everybody's jumping around and there's no focus or emphasis on the Word of God uh, when when the pastors are sweating and spitting and shouting uh, and, and everybody's speaking in tongues. And one time when the, 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 the assembly is so out of order, uh, it actually grieves my heart and there's a physical hurting as a result. So we believe here at Calvary Chapel, I believe, as the pastor here, that the gifts of the Spirit continue. I believe that we ought to walk in those gifts as uh, often as we can, daily, in fact. I think we ought to crave the gifts of the Spirit. And I think if we will do that, uh, we will have more and more and more of Jesus being poured out through us onto a world that really needs to see Jesus from us. Remember, Avery, the most important gift of the Spirit, the sign, the sign that you're filled with God's Spirit is love. There was a singer that used to sing the song, What the World Needs Now is Love. Well, it's still the same. It's never been any different. And that's the love that comes from those of us who have the indwelling Holy Spirit living in us. Well, the phones have been quiet on this Monday. We'd love to have your phone calls uh, for the last half of the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word of Santa for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the monday show 340-9584 let's go to san antonio texas and talk with evelyn on line one evelyn thanks for calling you're on the air hi pastor ron how are you i'm doing well thanks evelyn good I just have a question. I just want a clarification. Uh, did you just say you didn't believe in uh, people getting slain in the spirit? Yes. Because actually, I experienced it, and I'm not—I'm a very skeptical person. Mm-hmm. But I was in a church, and uh, we had a guest speaker, and I made the altar call, and he didn't even touch me. I mean, he was up there on the stage, and he just um, put his hand like where I was standing. And I just fell to the ground. I had no control, but I didn't get hurt. It was like I just kind of fell down softly, but I experienced it. Yeah, Evelyn, let me explain, and please don't take any personal offense at this, because I I have experienced it as well. Um, I went to, uh, as a very young Christian, I went to a, um, a, a Benny Hinn thing. I, I don't even know what to call it, because it's certainly not of God. But... Um, he was he was having people slain in the spirit all over the place, and and he decided that the spirit told him that he was going to uh, slay everybody in the audience in the spirit, and he would go from one end of the auditorium to the other, and he was waving his coat at people, and whole sections were falling down, and it was getting to me because like you, I'm very skeptical, uh, especially and I think rightly so of those things that are not uh, biblical. Um, there, there's simply no biblical basis for uh, that kind of experience. And so as it was coming around to me, these whole sections were falling down. And we, I was, we were all standing up. And I was holding on the chair. And I, I kept saying, I'm not going to fall down. I'm not going to fall down. And when it came to me, there was a power that hit me. And that power that hit me, it didn't knock me down because I was resisting it. But um, um, uh, that, that power, I assure you, was real. Uh, just like that power was real when when you went down, uh, what I'm saying is that the power is not from God. There's always a counter, especially with false teachers. And believe me, the only ones out there who are practicing slaying people in the spirit are false teachers. And that power is real. I believe it's demonic. The fact that it happens to somebody in a church, uh, you know, we go to church, we're not protected from demonic powers. I think what it should do is cause us all to really wake up and be on guard because we can all be susceptible to the power of demonic spirits. 
and I know it's real because it tried to knock me down. And um, I, I've seen it happen in churches where people I know who were knocked down. What I was indicating was it's simply not from God. I know we like to yeah. think that because we're Christians, Jesus wouldn't let anything like that happen to me. But remember, every time you go to church, whether it's a bad church or a good church, every time you go to church, um, there are demons there, and they're they're trying to steal your souls, and they're trying to, to undo the work that God is trying to do in uh, while you're at church. So uh, I, I just think we have to be really, really on guard. And um, I think what you experience is the same thing that I experienced those many, many years ago. And I think it was a counterfeit spirit. And by the way, the, the concern I would have, based on what you said, was that your pastor would let a guest pastor come in who would practice that kind of nonsense. There's simply nothing at all legitimate or godly or biblical about being slain in the Spirit. When, when Jesus tells us from 1 John that greater is he who is innocent, he who is in the world, um, um, you know, that the, the Spirit is a spirit of order and that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. There's simply no basis for believing that that particular, particular phenomenon is from the Spirit of God any more, Evelyn, than when you see uh, in these crazy things on TV people shaking and people screaming and uh, back in the days when it was a laughter that was breaking out in churches. Uh, all of that is just counterfeit nonsense from the enemy. So I don't mean anything personal by it. I think you, were, you, you experienced the same exact thing that I experienced many, many years ago. Does that explain a little bit? Yes, and I've heard of Benny Hinn, and I kind of felt he was a phony. But it's just it's, the funny thing is that when I got slain, I just I felt good. It was a good feeling. Yeah. I just and like I said, I'm, I'm a skeptical person, and I'm a believer. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love the Lord yep. with all my heart. Yep. So you know, that's why I'm saying, well, you know, this has to be for yeah, real. It, yeah. It, well, it, it's for real. It's just not from God. And and Evelyn, if if there was a seducing spirit out there that wanted to trick you, wouldn't it make sense that, that that spirit would want that false experience to feel good? And and that's exactly what's happening. It doesn't mean that you're not a believer. I, I can tell from your heart that you love Jesus. It just means that we need to be more discerning. We need to be more discerning. The Bible says that Satan himself can masquerade as an angel of light. And I think that's the way he seduces people into things. And uh, I think part of the problem that we run into is that we end up going to church to get goosebumps or to have experiences. And at some point when those experiences don't pay off, um, we become very, very hard-hearted uh, to, to, to those kind of things. So never accept the counterfeit. And if, if something is from the Lord, you'll be able to find a basis for it in the scriptures. And if you can't, and certainly being slain in the spirit, being out of control is not the Lord. I don't think you were ever in any danger. God still had you in his hands. There was not going to be a problem there. Um, it's just that we have to be on guard. We have to stand uh, as watchmen and women um, over the true gifts of the spirit because we don't want to cheapen them. And in churches like that, um, unfortunately, the gifts of the Spirit have no value. And I think most Christians, especially in churches like that, wouldn't recognize a real miracle if it bit them in the nose. In this particular case, uh, as good as it might have felt, um, Satan's aim is just to reel you in. Hold on to the Word, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, and that's how we know we're safe. Evelyn, thank you for calling, and thank you thank for you, being Pastor so Ron. gracious. You. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you for being so gracious with my answer uh, uh, at times when, when that answer offends people. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Nancy. She wants to know, are all sins equal in terms of gravity? Nancy, the, the, the answer is no in terms of individual sins. Obviously, the Apostle Paul said that one who sins sexually sins against his or her own body. And the idea there, the inference is very clear that we give Satan a deeper inroad. And we don't need to do that. We don't need to give him any help. When we sin sexually, we're sinning against the body that contains the Spirit of God. And and uh, there, there, it, it's a, a sin that is far more serious. Uh, when When 
um, Jesus was speaking to Pilate. He said to Pilate, the one who delivered me to you is guilty of the greater sin. So, yeah, Pilate's going to stand in judgment for his sin of delivering Jesus over. But he said the religious leaders who, 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 who were murderous in their intent, the religious leaders who should have known that the Messiah was coming and should have known who he was, and in fact most did know, by putting Jesus to death, they were guilty of the greater sin. Now, I think that explains that, but the one thing that I do want to make clear is that all sin separates us from God. So it's a big sin or a little sin uh, if it's uh, unconfessed and if, it, if you haven't repented from it, uh, if, you, if you haven't been born again, then, then all sin separates us from God. It, it, it has the same effect. But in terms of individual sins, Nancy, uh, there are sins that are worse than others. Obviously, Jesus said uh, anybody who, who calls someone a fool is guilty of murder. Well, obviously, physical murder is more serious uh, than, than calling somebody a fool. But Jesus is just exposing the heart when he said those things. So, Nancy, I hope that is uh, enough help. Um, Jennifer wants to know, what does it mean in Romans 1 when it says that God gave them over? Um, Jennifer, this is hard to explain. Um, When we sin and continue to do so, our hearts grow harder and harder. And there are times, especially for unbelievers, when our sin is so difficult and our hearts get so hard that God simply takes his hand off of us and he gives us over to what we want. Now, as Christians, that almost never happens. But for the rest of us, people that are unbelievers, uh, we see it in our day and age. We see, and in this particular context, God gave them over for their sins. Their sins were so grievous uh, that they were felt free to, to, to denigrate their bodies, men with men and women with women. That's the context of the passage in Romans 1. And so, Jennifer, here's what it says to us, and this is a scary thing. It says that when we continue to sin, when we continue to completely disregard God, at some point he's going to say, well, that's your choice, I honor it. Now, we never know when that's going to be. But when we sin past that point of no return, then we have been given over. And when that happens, we'll do the worst possible things and it won't bother our consciences at all. When you see uh, these mass murderers, when you see uh, pedophiles, when you see the, the, the sins that we consider the worst of the worst, these are men and women who have so steadfastly rejected the work of God in their lives that God has given them over. And there's an enemy spirit who's going to destroy them. And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 1. Imagine what it was like for Paul to write that letter. You know, we have a tendency to think, you know, well, Paul didn't understand homosexuality. Paul didn't understand that, that this is just love and, you know, all the things, that the, the phony arguments that, that we hear in our church culture. Paul was in Corinth when he wrote Romans. He was in Corinth, the wickedest city on the earth at the time, the San Francisco of the ancient world. And all the sin was open and public. Nobody even tried to hide it. Rulers, kings, emperors all had their little boy toys, and I mean boy toys, Nobody cared what happened to them. So Paul understood about giving them over to themselves, and that's exactly what happened. Jennifer, I am fearful that we live in that time right now where we have so rebelled against God and been so stubborn. You know, Isaiah chapter 5 talks about a time in Israel's history that is very reminiscent of what we're going through, a time when good was called evil and evil was called good, a time when men dragged their sin along, and this is poetic language, but with cords of deceit through the public streets. 
In other words, they were no longer ashamed of sin. Well, in our nation, we have come to that time where we're no longer ashamed to sin. And in fact, we, instead of being ashamed, uh, the people that are shamed, as opposed to being ashamed, the people that are shamed are those who now hold on to righteousness. So we live in that time, at least that's what I fear. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-5757. Here's a question from Anthony. He says, is it necessary to be able to study Greek and Hebrew to understand the Bible? Anthony, no. Thankfully, it's not. Now, I'm sure if somebody understood Greek and Hebrew well, if they were fluent in the language, it would help to be able to look at the original uh, um, uh, languages and then make your own conclusions, sort of sort of uh, make your own translation. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, somebody that most Christians are listening to on the radio somewhere in this country, in fact, all over the world, uh, as, as simple and ordinary as he sounds, uh, he was an eminent Greek and Hebrew scholar. Uh, he actually wrote his own translations of the Bible. There are times when he'll quote and he'll say, my translation says, and, and then he'll tell you how he translated something. And certainly it would be a help. But one of the great things about the information age is that we now can stand on the shoulders of giants, men who were Greek scholars or Hebrew scholars, uh, men who, who made a, a study and, and, and left for us the information that we need. One of the great tools in my library, Anthony, is a, a series of books called Robertson's Word Pictures of the New Testament. A.T. Robertson was one of the, if not the preeminent Greek scholar of the, the, the 20th century. Um, uh, if, if you don't have that in your library to study, uh, you need to get it. Not it's it's also on a lot of our Bible study computer programs, but the, but the information in the hard copy books uh, is is much more in depth. So uh, I don't have to understand uh, the tenses in Greek, um, past tense versus current, present continuous tense, those kind of things, um, because there are men who have gone before us and leave that information with us. So um, we, we don't have to be able to study Greek and Hebrew uh, to understand the Bible. The Bible is, is able to be understood by the kids in our children's classes. The translations that we have are reliable. But there are so many times when the Greek word paints such a wonderful picture that we have to call attention to it. Personally, uh, I, I'm not one who often says, well, the Greek word actually says, um, um, because the Greek word actually says what the translations that we have say it says. But there are times when the Greek gives us such a vivid picture that it's really helpful to point it out. And I didn't have to be a Greek scholar to, 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 uh, to learn that. Uh, all I had to do was be one who rightly divides the word of God. So, Anthony, the answer is no. Uh, but if you have a proclivity for languages, so Dr. Peter uh, here, who's a pastor here at our church, he speaks five languages. It's just something that he can do. My son, uh, Terry, our younger son, uh, Terry has an affinity for languages. If he's around it for a minute, he can speak it. Uh, for people like that, it would be a great thing. But for most of us, we don't have that kind of gift. I, I don't, for sure. Daniel wants to know, Pastor Ron, what are some tips about avoiding burnout as we serve Jesus? Um, Daniel, the tip is to be with Jesus when you're with him and his strength is with you. Uh, you can't get burned out. The way we get burned out is when we're doing things in our own strength instead of doing them in the strength of God. Now, let me make a distinction here, Daniel, between burnout and just getting tired. We all get tired. Uh, I was back for the first time since my surgery. Uh, yesterday, I did all three services. I was tired, but certainly not burnout. I was so excited we got done, so grateful that I was able to, to do the three services yesterday. I can't wait for next Sunday. And I'm going to be back on Wednesday night. I'm going to be back on Friday. Uh, I get tired for sure, but but that's not burnout. When we are experiencing what our culture calls burnout, it's because we're serving in our strength instead of in his strength. We're not letting the Spirit lead. We're not letting the Spirit empower us. 
Sometimes, Daniel, burnout is caused by unconfessed sin. We know we're in rebellion and God is going to let you get to the end of yourself. Don't let it go that far. But if you serve Jesus in his strength, where is even the possibility, biblically speaking, of being burned out? We have people that come to church here from time and from time to time. And they will talk about their old church, you know, well, you know, I was serving and doing everything and I just got burned out. Well, the, the reason is because they weren't serving the Lord. They were serving some other motive. And what we want is we want people to serve. We don't compel people to serve. We let them know that serving is what God wants. But when the power of the Spirit is flowing, serving God is invigorating. It's refreshing. Again, we get physically tired, but we don't burn out. It's impossible to burn out when the fire of Jesus Christ is burning inside. Here is an anonymous question. I had this question, I think, last week. Why is it okay to drink alcohol but not smoke pot? Anonymous, it's not okay because God says it's not okay. It's that simple. Uh, It's not okay to drink and get buzzed or drink and get drunk. It's okay to drink in moderation. And whenever alcohol is being talked about, it's always wine. I'm not talking about hard alcohol. It's amazing, 21st century, especially here in the United States, we can take things that were intended for good and turn them for evil use. But God says drinking in moderation is acceptable. I wish nobody would drink, but God says it's okay if you drink moderately. When you start getting buzzed, when you start becoming impaired, then you've crossed that line, and drinking then becomes a sin. Now, with marijuana, it's completely different. The whole point is to lose control of yourself. The whole point is to get buzzed or to get high, to find some sort of relief, emotionally or physical relief. And the moment we do that, we are opening ourselves to an enemy who wants to destroy us. It's like just laughing in the face of God. And all the time, Anonymous, I get the questions, well, it's an herb, God made it, so how could it be bad? It helps me relax. All it does is get you high. You know, I'm old enough now that I remember marijuana in the hippie days. It was nothing like the marijuana that's being synthetically produced today. It's nothing like that. The, the, the marijuana is 10, 15 times more potent. And the moment you begin smoking it, you get high. And it's not being honest to say, well, you know, I'm just mellowing and I'm just relaxing. No, you're smoking it to get high. Why did you just tell God you're not enough for me? So this is one of those things that we can't let the world convince us is okay. Truth is, it happens because it's something that we want to do. 34095, anonymous, uh, follow-up on an earlier question. What does Matthew 27:52 mean? I thought that when we die, our souls go to heaven. Why would these souls not be in heaven already? When will we be judged if we're already in heaven with the Lord when we die? Two separate questions there, anonymous. I'll try to clear it out. Matthew 27 always confuses people. Remember, the souls of the dead weren't with Jesus because Jesus wasn't in heaven yet. When Jesus was crucified and those two souls, those spirits, came out of the tombs, that was a a marvelous, miraculous sign gift. They went declaring, after the resurrection, they went declaring the wonders of God. And so it would just be God announcing, pronouncing that deliverance from sins has been complete. And these righteous souls, we have no idea who they are. There's only one mention in all of the Bible of this. Um, We know that before their souls would have been in in, in paradise, not in heaven, but in paradise. And then God, for his purposes alone, allowed them to come back uh, into the bodies and be raised to life. More of a resurrection um, um, uh, along the sort of Lazarus's, but but he had a, had work for them to do. So um, 
when we die, anonymous, um, we go directly in the presence of Lord, uh, of the Lord, and not just our spirits, but with new heavenly bodies as well. Um, you said, when will we be judged if we're already in heaven with the Lord when we die? We'll be judged at the Bema seat of Christ, and it's not a judgment for salvation at all. It's a judgment of works, whether our works are good or good for nothing. Uh, let's go to line one and talk with Chris on line one. Chris, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. I'm just calling to find out what your opinion or viewpoint is on Pastor Arnold Murray of Shepherd's Chapel out of Gravit, Arkansas. Uh, I, I feel like his theology and teachings are far from biblical. Uh, and I'll <laughs> hang up and listen to you offline. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the call very, very much. Uh, Arn Murray is a wolf, a false teacher. I believe he's dead now, so he is... Uh, um, aware of his false teachings. I don't believe um, uh, he was such a heretic. I don't believe that he was saved. Um, uh, there are some false teachers who are saved, but but he was one whose teachings were so egregious. Um, uh, it's amazing that he's still doing damage to people from the grave, but his teachings were so egregious that he was just a full-blown heretic and the Bible has a lot to say about those who are wolves. Uh, I know personally uh, men that that uh, that spoke with Arnold Murray, um, tried to correct him. He rejected it all, um, and he is now without excuse, as he, uh, at least from my perspective, is in torment um, to this very day. So uh, he's a false teacher. Don't listen. Uh, if you have loved ones that are listening, he has almost a cult-like following um, in and around Arkansas. Uh, but this is a guy who is just pure poison, Chris, pure poison, um, and shouldn't be um, listened to by anybody. There's no redeeming value from any of the things that he taught while he was alive. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for the calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Have a good night. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.